Bruce Newberry. The food dude. All right, so here we are. It's Bruce Newberry with Ted Carusas, but we can't call it a TED Talk. And we're here at the Blue Play Diner. What is the difference between a chef and a cook? Well, that's an interesting question. I might aggravate some people out there um, with my answer. Technically, in the French brigade system, the, che- the chef is the chief. The chief is in charge of organizing everybody, making sure that the recipes are written, making sure that everybody's doing their job or their mise en place, their preparation. It's like the general, okay? It takes a village to put out a, a, a certain kind of meal at a certain, uh, you know, a, a pace. And so, therefore, they have great organizational skills. Now, the cook is obviously, le- they still got to be organized, but they're less organized. They don't necessarily write the recipes. They need to be able to execute on the recipe. So that is the big difference. Um, I have 40 years in the business, and I still don't consider myself a chef even though I think I'm pretty well organized and pretty uh, you know, well versed in multiple different kinds of recipes and styles and I can kind of combine things. I think uh, to be a true chef, you need to chase after the, the cooking, how things are done, different techniques, different approaches to, to cooking, can modify certain things and still get a high flavor profile with certain nutritional value. I haven't really honed all together, every single facet the way I think it needs to be, but I think I'm probably closer than many in my generation. Is a chef as opposed to a cook, who's closer to the supply chain, the chef or the cook? Does the chef have to buy sure. and, and to oversee what is coming into that kitchen to, to be served, to, okay. to be cooked and served? So first of all, a good cook and a good chef should all know their supply chain. They should know the consistency, what to look for, what are vegetables bruised, what's the, how do you tell a fresh egg from a not fresh egg, you know, the marbling on meat. Everybody should know that. However, the chef is more aware of what's coming through the food chain. What is more seasonal, what is more local, what the best flavor profile they're looking for a certain um, recipe. Consequently, I mean, in the United States, everything, for the most part, is brought to you in what they call, and this is, of course, uh, the bureaucracy of uh, the FDA, in a good way, for your food protection and safety, Everything from the minute it gets picked in the field or slaughtered at the slaughterhouse or brought on a boat, brought on a boat is, is, it cannot break the cold chain. So it's under controlled situations from start to finish. What does that mean? It requires lots of money, lots of maintenance, lots of checks and balances. That way you're sure that what you get is fresh or at least wholesome. Now that's a fairly recent phenomenon. And yeah, it, let's say about 30 years. Yes. And they call it hazardous it. and, and that's critical control point. And it was more or less invented by legal seafoods. Well, legal seafoods had a lot to do with the seafood. And actually, HACCP, hazardous, it stands for hazardous analysis, critical control points. Yes. At what point will something go wrong with the food item or with, let's say, a rocket ship? Because it was yes. originally designed for NASA. Really? Pillsbury designed, how am I going to feed astronauts up in space for long periods of time? So Pillsbury invented this step-by-step process where time and temperature are followed and analyzed to make sure to prevent any kind of bacteria growth or spoilage or contamination of any physical, biological, or, or, or otherwise. And so this has later been adopted by companies, large companies like General Mills, like Legal Seafoods, especially with the fish. Mm. 
and and now it's almost I mean it's happening without you even knowing it like yes. when they tag they'll scan a fish when it's caught it's put a, on a tag and now you know at what point it was caught what date and time and how long it, it has been in the value chain before it gets to you so anyways all, in, in uh, the FDA's bureaucracy of creating this systemic system to trace back in case there is a foodborne illness where did it start how can we yes fix it? that's the whole purpose of it yes. right and we're very blessed that we actually have that uh, you know it's a pain in our butts to, to execute on but we're glad that it's there in case someone does get sick we can follow the chain of and liability when it, when the few times that it's had to have been used it works very well right right they, they find the source of these things very very quickly right the downside with this is it makes it very difficult for you to actually go and get food right from a farm. Yes. Right? A local farmer down the street. You can. Here's the problem. What happens if you have a situation where there was, uh, you know, fecal matter in the, yes. in the tomato, in the soil for the tomatoes? Yes. Or, you know, there was some kind of, uh, uh, you know, whatever. Whatever exactly. the case is. So you know, the days of the, of the fishermen coming up to the back door of the restaurant can't are gone. Yeah, it can't happen. Um, and so, therefore, that, that creates a very tough environment and scale for the small farmer, for the small, small distributor. And that's why the big boys kind of ultimately end up winning. However, that doesn't mean that that's how it has to be. The reality is, if something is being transported five, six, seven days, that's when you have to control spoilage yes. or, or, or contamination. If something was picked this morning and you're eating it tonight, there isn't enough time for microbiological uh, um, yes. issues to occur, really, for spoilage or whatever. As long as you're properly cleaning and sanitizing your, your foods, your utensils, your this, your that. You know, complexity is what, what, what we deal with now. Complexity of, uh, of the value chain and of the food distribution network. And that's why, you know, people, I laugh, you know, tomatoes are best in the summer. That's yes. it. You want tomatoes year long? You got to deal with a food chain that has all this bureaucracy. Coming from tomatoes are coming from Chile and Argentina. Exactly right, and so and that creates a, uh, you know, you are what you eat. The food is what it eats. Okay, so local tomatoes always will taste better than the hydroponically ones grown and brought out from Chile or from California or from yeah. Florida, what have you. So, so back to the answer in a roundabout way. The chef question. The chef knows these things. The chef knows what seasonality, what will pair best, how to write a menu based off of that and what their ideal goals are. The cook, once he has the recipe, will be able to execute it. And that, unfortunately, is the dichotomy, and that's why you know a chef-driven restaurant usually should not be modified. Right? I mean, you get into... Yes. We, we talk in the past about modifications and how we have to adjust our diets and adjust how we eat and, 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 and what, ha what have you. Rather than adjusting your diet by changing a recipe... If you have trust and faith in the restaurant that you go to, and if it is a chef-driven or ingredient-centric restaurant, trust that the chef knows what they are doing, and, and then validate your trust in them by looking at the price point, the portion size. Is it seasoned correctly? Do I need to add salt or pepper? Does it look um, appropriate? Right? Does it look beautiful in the presentation? Is it well balanced, sweet and salty and savory and, and all those little things? That is the sign of someone who has honed their skill, someone who takes their food seriously, someone who wants to create an experience. Remember, in this today's day and age, everybody goes on experience, right? It's all experiential learning, experience driven. But when you as a participant are changing the experience and you're not taking advantage 
full boat of the creativity of the person whose mind has created this experience for you, then it's very, very tough for you to hold them accountable for the outcome. And it's unfair to them as far as their ability to execute. It's unfair to you for what you pay for your item. People still have to charge a price even if you're not getting the full value of it because unfortunately you might have modified it and changed it. And so I tell you this to, to you know, have faith in your local restaurants, try them, uh, try something different, exercise your, your reasonable um, ability to, to um, kind of differentiate and have some, you know, if the portion's too big for you, guess, and it's delicious, guess what, hold back. Yes. Eat only half, put the other half in a to-go box if that's the case. Or, or, you know, understand that, you know, seasonings are a necessary part. I mean, in the old days, seasoning, salt, Right. You're worth your weight in salt. Salt used to be how people got paid. I mean, because it was a preservative, obviously. Salt of right? the earth. Salt of the earth. You used to travel. Spices created the spice trade and exploration. I mean, spices are a necessary part of life, right? I mean, you know, to just have food with no joy, why, why bother, uh, you know, why bother even consuming that or, or going to the trouble other than just the utilitarian purpose? But I think, you know, I think give, give these chefs who have spent a lot of time and energy and and uh, money learning and honing their craft the opportunity to please you versus you know telling them how if you know how to cook it cook it at home go go out go out and you're going out to try something different not going out just because you don't want to cook today i think that's kind of the mentality at least once in a while and then of course you have your standbys where it's easy to modify something but i think you can't expand your horizons if you're not trying bruce newberry the food dude